Well, good morning and grace and peace to all of you from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, I want to welcome you this morning. I'm James. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, for all of us, uh, you can see on the inside of the aisles, there's a black pew pad. We would love it if you could go ahead and pass that along so that we can know that you're here and we can keep up with you and pray for you. Um, But I also wanted to direct your attention, if you are a visitor, um, we have added something to our worship folder this Sunday for the first time. It's nice and fancy and technologically forward. We have a QR code where if you open the bulletin, you would, you'll see it right there. And what you can do is pull out your phone and with your camera app, it'll take you right to a page on our website. And if you're a visitor, you can put in, it's three questions, your name, your email address, and today's date. And that will just give us an opportunity to know that you are here and to reach out to you. Uh, and to thank you for coming and to build a relationship. So we would invite you to do that if you are a visitor. Uh, This morning we are continuing our thematic study of Joel and Amos. This morning we're going to be in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. And so you can open your own Bible or you can pull out the Bible in front of you in the pew. If you do that, it will be on page 761. But before we read out of Joel chapter 2, and as you're turning there, let me orient you for just a second. Like in Amos, where we've been spending the last four weeks or so in this series, the first chapter and a half of Joel is a judgment portion, uh, where God is promising that he is going to send a locust plague that is going to be terrible as judgment and discipline for the people of God's sin. And as we pick up in verse 10, we're going to hit the last two verses of that, but then we're going to move forward, moving forward to see what is it that God says in his discipline. What are the words, what is the message that he's trying to get across because of his discipline? And we'll get to see God's love shine through as well as we look at God call us to repentance. So let's now read Joel chapter 2, verses 10 through 19 this morning. The earth quakes before them, locusts. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. For his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome or terrible. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. And between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. And say, spare your people, O Lord. 
And make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should there say among the peoples, where is their God? And then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. Let's pray again. Father, we ask now simply that as we have read your word, uh, we call upon your promise that your word does not return to you void. And so would you use your word to convict us of our sin and draw us to yourself this very morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the big points, as we've been working through Amos and now we're in Joel, one of the big major points that I hope you've been taking away, it's been in just about every sermon, is that God's discipline is also loving. That though God might judge us for sin, might judge people for their sin, God is also loving. That it's an expression of his love, that it's to get our attention and draw us to himself And so as we've wrestled for the last four weeks or so on judgment and even on looking at deep repentance, perhaps your experience has been a little bit like mine, where I've said, yes, okay, I agree. Uh, The Lord's discipline is loving. He's, He's our good and heavenly Father. And so I know that when the Lord disciplines me and maybe I'm walking through suffering, it's out of God's love. But I can think of the suffering going on in my life or the discipline that he's giving to me because I'm struggling with this sin. I've seen the effects of my sin and how he's allowing it to kind of mess things up. And that, you know, that doesn't seem loving in my life. Like I know theologically that, yeah, God's discipline is also loving. But I'm not usually turning straight to Psalm 119 and praying with the psalmist, it was good that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. I'm usually crying out something more like, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Right? I might know something. I might know that God is loving, but it's really difficult to actually experience it and to believe it deep down when I'm the one suffering discipline. So as we pick up in the book of Joel, in Joel chapter 2 this morning, we're coming to a passage where God is not only telling us that he is loving, but he's going out of his way to give us an experience of his love, to draw us into it. And we'll see that, yes, God is calling us to repent, but the first thing this morning is that God's call of repentance is actually a call of love. It really is. Go back with me to verse 10, where we started this morning, where he says that the earth quakes before locusts, that the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. This means that there are going to be so many locusts in this locust plague that you won't be able to see the sun or the moon because there's too many insects over you. Which means, as he says earlier in chapter 2, they're going to eat all of the grain, all of the grapes to make wine, all all of the olives to make olive oil that you cook with. There's no food. There's no economy. You don't have all the things you need in order to worship God as he asks. Even the fields, and uh, you can't have a fattened calf for a sacrifice because they, there's nothing to fatten them up on. 
The locusts are eating everything, and life is falling apart. And he says here and then verse 11, that day of the Lord is so great and terrible, no one can endure it on his or her own strength. Right, that's some real hardship. I mean, that is some serious discipline. I mean, that is shaking up a life like an hourglass until nothing looks the same, everything is out of whack. And I'm sure there's at least one Israelite that was like that character in the movie that I'm sure you've seen where he's shaking his fist at the heavens and saying, what are you doing right now? Like, what do you want from me, God? I'd like to see that, actually, a Hebrew doing that. And Joel chapter 2 is amazing because in the midst of the suffering and in the discipline for sin, God tells us what he wants from us. So let's now look at verse 12. What is it that God is saying Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts sincerely, not your garments as a show. Right, when you ask the Lord, do you really love me? He says, yes, come home. Let me show you. When you ask the Lord, what, what do you want from me? According to these verses, the Lord responds by saying, I want you, all of you, not part of you. I want all of you. And one of the ways you can show and know that you are repenting with all of your heart is that there is weeping and mourning and grief involved. Right? When you are so shaken and disturbed by the sin in your life that you're brought to tears, that probably means that you see your sin as the Lord sees your sin. We're not going to spend a lot of time this morning really looking for individual sins in our lives. We've spent four weeks doing that, looking at God's judgment and discipline. And so whatever the Lord has been convicting you of these last weeks as we're looking in Joel and Amos, to know that you're really seeing it and dealing with it, at least one of the signs is that you've been convicted to the point of tears. And that motivates us to actually return to the Lord with all our heart because we see we cannot deal with it. Someone else has to. I remember having a conversation uh, when I was in college with an old mentor of mine. And I was on the phone with him, and I, I was being convicted of a sinful pattern of my life, of seeing that this sin had been there for a long time, and I had prayed about it, and I had been trying to deal with it, and the Lord was not taking it away like I wanted him to take it away. The Lord was actually leaving it, and so I would repent, and I'd fight against it, and it seemed like I would fall right on back into that sinful practice. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Maybe that's just me. Um, but I remember being on the phone and saying, why won't the Lord just take it away? Right? Why, why is it not the case that when I pray about it, the Lord doesn't just pick it up and take it away and throw it away? Wouldn't that be a better way? Like, Wouldn't God be glorified if I just never sinned in this way ever again? And in his wisdom, this mentor said to me, why well, part of the reason that you have to repent over and over again. Part of the reason that sanctification is a process is because it means you have to rely on Jesus every single day, not just one time. That 
the more you have to repent over the same sin, the more it's going to lead you into weeping. The deeper you're going to see it goes into your heart. And so when you actually see that that sin isn't just a surface level problem, but it infects every single part of you, well, that's when you get to see the extent of God's love, that he actually still wants you. That when you're broken over over it and you're disgusted with your own sin and you then hear God say, return to me. I want you to come home. Well, that really will convince you of how much God's love is for you. Maybe you're one of those people who struggles to repent fully because you have lots of excuses. That should probably be all of us. I spent some time this week uh, praying through the excuses that I have about repentance that kind of keep me from doing it fully with all my heart, with weeping and fasting. Uh, And I spent some time asking dear brothers and sisters in Christ about their excuses. And one of the things as I was just listening and thinking about what excuses are we bringing to the Lord, uh, it seems that what God says in verse 12 actually cuts through every single excuse we could ever have. Where he says, yet even now, Even right now, return to me. So here's some of these excuses that I have had, that some brothers and sisters have had, maybe you've had. Maybe it's just the actual case that the Lord is disciplining you for your sin, and it just hurts. Right, to actually look at it deeply, you just don't want to deal with the hurt anymore. And God says, yet even now, return to me. Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe you're just ashamed because it is the hundredth time that you've repented. Or maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years and then you look back and you you thought you actually had dealt with that sin and it just crept back up and got you. It was creeping at your door. Yet even right now, return to me, declares the Lord. Right? Maybe it's that you are worried that Uh, you're going to walk back in the door and God your Father won't be favorable to you or gracious, but instead he's going to be angry or disappointed, which usually feels worse than angry in my experience when I've gotten that one. Well, yet even now return to me, declares the Lord. And in verse 13, he's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Maybe you've just been putting off your repentance because you're going to have to change your life a lot. That it's going to cause you to really shake up all the ways that you're living your life. Yet even now, return to me, declares the Lord. Or leaning into your sin is actually giving you a pretty good amount of worldly success in your career. Yet even now, return to me, declares the Lord. Or maybe something has happened to you in your past something difficult. There's real suffering there, and you have found that in the midst of your suffering, which is there, well, sometimes a sinful life can be a a decent coping mechanism to just forget about it, just for a little bit, to not have to think about whatever's happened to you. But even now, return to me, declares the Lord your God. And in verses 13 and 14, what I also love is that when the Lord calls us to return, he's not just saying, come to me and just just trust me arbitrarily. He says, you want to know why you should return to me? Verse 13, for he is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows, in your situation, maybe he'll just turn and relent, and he will take away your suffering. Leave a blessing behind him. God calls you to repent out of his love. God calls you to repent because he is love. Not out of shame or anger or disappointment in you, but because God is loving. His steadfast love endures forever, turns out. So the call to repentance is a call of love, but we also see something second, a second thing in Joel chapter 2, which is that the call of repentance is actually a call into greater love. It's not just because God's love, but he's actually calling you into love when he's calling you to repent. Here's what I mean by that. Your sin, when you repent of it, it's going to hurt. I'm just going to be upfront with you. To repent of your sin means to die to your sin. That sounds painful. Uh, The image in Isaiah chapter 6 of sanctifying Isaiah's lips that he might be a prophet means a burning coal has to come up and be placed against his lips. That sounds painful. So we must die and kill off this sin, and that's going to hurt. But on the other side of it, on the other side of our repentance, as we're living unto righteousness, what do we find? We find a greater experience, a deeper experience of the God whom we serve. In our text, in verses 15 to 17, what God is calling the people to do is to basically hold a giant worship service where they put on sackcloth and ashes and humble themselves before the Lord. Right, the Lord is saying, hold a rally. But instead of a speaker hyping you up, the priests are going to be up there crying. Because you all have sinned. We actually see that happening in Ezra and Nehemiah. And even if you were to push forward to Acts chapter 2, as the apostles on the day of Pentecost are receiving the Spirit and they go out and preach, they actually quote from Joel chapter 2, although a little bit further along. And they tell about Christ and him crucified and they say to the people in Jerusalem, you had a hand in it. And if Joel chapter 2 says, rend your hearts and not your garments, Acts chapter 2 says they were cut to the heart. And their response was to say to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says, well, repent of your sin and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The promise of grace is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Right, the call to repentance in Acts chapter 2, which is pushing back here to Joel chapter 2, is that you should repent in order to experience the forgiveness of sin. To be baptized and brought into fellowship with God and his church. To have a sign put on you that says you are now washed clean and you are mine. God calls us to repent, to return to him, because he wants to pour out his love and blessing. That's exactly what he does here in verse 19. The Lord answers his people and says, I'm going to send to you grain and wine and oil. The very source of the discipline, the locusts were going to eat all those things, now becomes a place of blessing. If we were to read in the Joel chapter 3, we'd see that there was more grain and wine and oil than there was before the locusts came. 
And it's not that repentance is a magic wand or a magic prayer. You cannot repent and have the Lord just do exactly what you want the Lord to do. I'll tell you that as well. Sorry for that potentially bad news. One of my professors helpfully said, faith is not a certainty of an outcome of your situation, but faith is a certainty in the God whom you serve. And so the people here and all of God's people across the ages... It's not that you're repenting in order to make God do what you want. It's that you're repenting to go to the God that you're trusting. And if God really is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relents over disaster, gracious and merciful, well, then you can have some real faith that what the Lord will do to your life is going to be a source of blessing. I, as a young man, um, I love, actually, uh, to listen to some of you older saints, even those of you in this room, just talk about your relationship with the Lord. I really do. Because what I realize when I'm just listening to you talk about your lives, walking with Jesus, I hear you just talk with more trust in his love, more trust in what he's done, than sometimes I feel like I can muster for myself. That's probably, I'm pretty sure, because you have had more time to repent than I have had. And so you have left more of your sin, and so you've looked at Jesus and you've said, no, you're faithful and you're trustworthy and you're true. You really are steadfast in your love. And so as you speak, I just want to encourage you to keep repenting. Because younger people in this church, we need your testimony to remember that there's blessing on the other side of repentance. We read it in God's word, but to hear God doing it, it's so encouraging. Younger people, students in this room, who is that mentor that you have in your life that you really want to have that level of joy or faithfulness or wisdom or patience or gentleness, whatever fruit it is? Those virtues were not automatic think they came because they listened to Jesus's words in Mark chapter 1 where he says repent and believe the gospel following after Jesus over time leaving their sin and following after Jesus there's real blessing on the other side of repentance as he's calling us into his love So I hope this morning you're thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, I really want to repent. Um, I really should repent. But you might also be thinking, but I've tried it before. Or I'm uncertain of what's going to happen. Or maybe I just don't even feel strong enough to repent. And so let me point you to Christ in just a very practical way, specifically for this morning. Uh, Right here in front of me, we have the elements of the Lord's Supper. And... We as believers, as the church, are going to come forward and we're going to take of the bread and the wine, which, which are here so that we would remember that Jesus has died. To take on himself the sins of all who trust in him and then to give his grace to us. And in, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, before you come to this table, everyone should examine yourself. Which means that this table is a table of repentance. We'll have an opportunity to actually repent of our sins before we come to this table, actually examine ourselves, and leave our sins behind that we might follow after Jesus. And actually come to this table and trust 
through the Spirit of God, he is here to actually strengthen you, to actually pour out his love on you. This table is a call of repentance, meaning it is is a call of love from the Lord. Jesus has died to forgive our sins. But as we come, it's also a call into greater experience of God's grace as we eat and drink in faith. So if you are struggling this morning, repent, believe the gospel, and come and enjoy the presence of Jesus. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with weeping, with fasting, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Let's pray. Father, we repent. But thankfully we repent, not because you are yelling at us in anger or trying to shame us into it, but we come to you because you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You relent over disaster. And so as we leave this morning, as we continue to worship, that you help us to know who you are. Pour out your love this morning. We know that you promise that you will. Change our hearts. Cut through our excuses. Help us to experience your presence, which is here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.